Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, the stage will be packed at tonight's leadership debate. Are you watching? The protests in Hong Kong have gone to a new level as masks have now been banned. And you remember the Tide Pods? Well, what about the same sort of thing, but instead injected with scotch? Glenn Livett is experimenting with this. It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. All right, tonight, six uh, political leaders on stage for the debate in, Ka- in Gatineau to talk more about all of this. Michael Tobe is with us, Troy Media Syndicated columnist, contributor to the Washington Times, as well, former speechwriter for Stephen Harper. He is with us now. Michael, thanks for your time, as always. Much appreciated. My pleasure, Scott. You know what concerns me more about this, and I guess it's like two hours for the course of the night, but there's six people on stage, and then right. there's a, a great deal of commentators as well, and I guess I understand what they're trying to do here. But uh, are we worried things are going to get lost in the sauce here? Well, I guess we'll find out. <clears throat> Six is certainly the <clears throat> pardon me, the one of the biggest numbers we've had on stage in a long, long time. I mean, obviously the typical number has been five, especially since Elizabeth May was included. But. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is possible with six party leaders and five moderators, that's 11 people sort of fighting for airtime and space. It is possible that some of the issues will get lost, but nevertheless, I think we have to take into account that this is going to be, and I know political commentators and pundits say this sometimes, Scott, and I've been one of them too. This is actually one of those rare debates that could actually mean something in the grand scheme of things, simply because of all the insanity that we've seen in this election up to this point, Mm. and the fact that every major poll shows either the Liberal or Tories ahead by roughly margin of error, which is 2 to 3%, or a little bit more, a little bit less, give or take, which means that if something unusual happens in this debate, and historically this has not been the case, but if we have a repeat of what happened at the French language debate, for example, where Andrew Scheer brought out this whole two-planes controversy against Justin Trudeau, which lasted for a couple of days, if something else could pop up, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be by sheer, it doesn't even necessarily have to be about Trudeau, but something that changes the whole narrative or transforms a particular story that exists and takes it in a new angle or reveals something that we didn't know anything about, along with all the discussions of policy and, and other things, who knows? This thing, even if there are a lot of people on the stage, on the podium, and around, around the whole arena, so to speak, Maybe this could actually be something important. Are, are we expecting some sort of bomb to drop between now and 7 o'clock? Well, uh, I don't know. I mean, the Conservatives have certainly started something. Anyway, they just had a press release which came out. I don't have it sitting in front of me. Within the last hour or so, let's just say, for argument's sake, which is talking about the fact of why did Justin Trudeau actually leave that private school in British Columbia? Yeah, I saw the press release on that, yeah. Yeah, so that's the only bomb that I see potentially coming. And what they've basically done, the Conservatives, just in a nutshell, and I'll just put it all together, is they put out a whole series of previous news stories from major publications like the Ottawa Citizen, Globe and Mail, and others, tie them all together, and sort of said, look how this narrative has changed year after year. And look how, you know, first he left because of this reason, then he left because of that reason. You know, some said he wanted to go on to a new career, he found a new job. Others have argued that, 
you know, the rumor's always been around that he signed a non-disclosure agreement, which he denied late last week, you know, based on what some people thought was going to be this potentially bombshell story coming out of the Globe and Mail was where it was associated, but nothing popped out, so we don't exactly know if there was anything or what it was about, or at least not right now. It may be, as some people are suggesting, that conservative leader Andrew Scheer is going to say something and maybe try to address this question, although based on the controversies he's had last week, including with his dual citizenship, U.S. Canada, even if you think it's irrelevant, it was a story for a while, Mm -hmm. and also the fact the whole controversy about him calling himself an insurance broker, it could get very, very nasty on stage if that's brought up, but that's the only bomb I potentially see happening. Um... Are more people watching this because, as you mentioned, it's, it's been so titillating up to a point? I think they've been watching, but I think they're also frustrated as well. I yeah. think that more Canadians now are, I mean, Canadians have been, like lots of other people in the world, are very cynical about politics, party leaders, and policies in general. But this election, there has been so much mudslinging and viciousness and name-calling and, you know, basically everyone basically pointing out everybody else's character flaws. All the major political parties have thrown out candidates for various reasons. There's been so much, shall we say, bad stuff associated with this election that, yeah, it will obviously turn off some people, and they won't want to watch the the, uh, debate just because they think it's going to be more of the same. But it also may entice a lot of people in a very close election to, to actually go and watch it to sort of see how these leaders perform on, on the stage in the first uh, official English-language debate. Plus, you have all six leaders for the first time there, so it'll be interesting to see the dynamic between, you know, as they discuss things as a whole group or when they sort of break off into these one-on-one sessions. That'll be kind of a fascinating dynamic as well. And who knows, a lot of people may just simply tune in to see who succeeds, who fails, who stays on script, and anything, if anything unusual happens. How does each leader decide how much time they're going to spend on another particular candidate? Or do they just decide to go out there, I'm going to sell my wares, I'm not concentrating on the others? <laughs> no, everything is planned beforehand. And that's why you have people who work with the party leaders to train them, so to speak, for these leaders' debates. Do they spend time, though, selling their own or addressing others? Well, I mean, they have to do a bit of both. You have to train for everything and be ready for everything. Naturally, you have to sell your own policies, as you alluded to, because if you can't speak about what's important to the country, if you can't speak about what you as a leader represent or what your party represents, or you can't speak about, say, your party platform on anything from taxes, the environment, foreign policy, etc., then you're going to look really, really bad, and you're going to look uninformed. At the same time, you also have to train to combat your opponents, which means that, much as we've seen in other countries, like the U.S., the U.K., etc., you have a bunch of lines, plan lines, or zingers at your disposal. Or, if you're really good and you have a good memory, which some of them do, they can just sort of keep them up there, train for everything else, and then bring them out as they sort of see fit. And we've seen zingers all over the place. You know, Ronald Reagan did them, as we may remember. Lloyd Benson had a great one against Dan Quayle in the U.S. In Canada, we've had certain things, like certainly Brian Mulroney and John Turner during the free trade debate was actually kind of an interesting one in 88. You know, you had a choice, sir. That was one that, you know, certainly Mulroney may have had a hand in, but it was obviously prepared as a possible thing to use down the line. And there's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't show strength or a weakness of a political leader. It shows that 
either he or she prepares properly for the debate, listens to others, accumulates a whole bunch of possible lines, issues, policies, and good and bad stuff about other party leaders, puts them all together and prepares for it. So that's why it actually takes a long time to get a party leader able and ready, so to speak, to participate in one of these leaders' debates. Yes, some have gone in with very few notes and less informed than others. There's no question of that, but you can see through them. You can see the ones who have done it professionally and act professionally and appear professional, and then you can also see the ones where, yeah, they may have been trained a little bit behind the scenes, but they just don't look as sharp. It's pretty obvious to tell. How will the Prime Minister defend himself against things like SNC-Lavalin, uh, blackface, even the two planes issue? Uh, obviously, climate change, uh, a major pillar in the Liberals' election campaign. Yep. He, 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 he has obviously attacked the Conservatives for uh, what he views as less than a plan. Um, now that the two planes issue has come up, does that mm-hmm. neutralize the climate change argument? Oh, it does to some degree, whether he wants to admit it or not, absolutely. How does he handle it? But how does he handle all these attacks, which he undoubtedly will get from Andrew Scheer, Jagmeet Singh, Elizabeth May, uh, and Maxime Bernier, and the BQ leader? Obviously, they're all going to come after him pretty, pretty hard. Um, he can't sit around and be stone-faced, as he's been doing at recent interviews, and then refuse to answer the question. So, in other words, take the question and answer it the way he feels or he believes is actually the right way to deal with it. It doesn't mean you can't deflect the question. It doesn't mean you don't partially answer it and then turn it around to something else. That's a normal form of attack from any party leader, and that's the right way to handle any sort of a controversy. But he can't just stare straight ahead and refuse to answer the question. This time, he's got to answer them. You may not like the answers he comes up with. You may feel that he's just lying or that he's not telling the truth or that he's just trying to change the narrative to his advantage. Or you may believe him when he comes out and says certain things. But no matter what he does, he has to answer them, if not directly, at least half so. And if he at least attempts to talk about it, like take the two planes controversy, he'll talk about it very briefly, try to slough it off, and then go into his you know, to climate change, the environment, his carbon tax, etc. That's the typical way during a debate that you get around a difficult situation or a touchy subject. And that's what he's got to do. And if he doesn't do that, many people who are watching will see it. Many people will see his reactions. Many people will see how he deals with the question. And they may just realize that if he doesn't do these sorts of things on a regular basis, that maybe he just can't be trusted with the keys to the kingdom, so to speak, after October 21st. A much different set of debates this time out than uh, the last campaign. Um, Very much so. Very much so. uh, Sunny ways and, and, you know, things are going to be great, whereas now he's defending his record Mm -hmm. and perhaps coming across um, not as positive. um, Some have said more fear-mongering than in the Mm -hmm. past. Does that work for him? Can he sell that? Oh, he has been fear-mongering, and I'm sure you'll have liberal puns on saying how wonderful it is. He's been fear-mongering. I mean, that is as, as classic as, as an example as you'll ever find in Canadian politics. It's, it's really clear what's going on, and it's really clear that it's not only his strategy, it's his party strategy, too. Um, but look, at the same time, it is different than 2015, and that really is true, because in 2015, Justin Trudeau was the leader of not the opposition, 
but the third party yeah. in politics, yeah. so he could present whatever he wanted. His talk about Sunny Ways, the 170-odd policies that he brought out, which were all reprinted one after the other in the National Post, which I have as a reference paper somewhere here. I mean, I don't use it anymore because it's old, but a lot of us actually referred to it. The National Post thought they would bring out this to show how ridiculous it was, and definitely it was, but on the other hand, it could also give people a laundry list that they could, they could choose from of, well, he said that, he's discussed this, he's trying that, etc. It's very different when you're in government and you're the leader of a country, because now you're the target. Before, Stephen Harper, my old friend and boss, was the target, because he had been prime minister since 2006, so all the opposition parties were hoping to knock him off his pedestal, so they went after him as much as they possibly could. Now Justin Trudeau is in the hot seat, and as we saw, or no, as we've seen thus far, Yes, as an actor, he's able to sort of handle it. During the French language debate, even though he definitely got rocked a couple times, you know, as an actor, he has obviously learned, you know, in terms of just dramatic moves. Believe it or not, although I mock it at times, being in the dramatic arts actually does help you, as Ronald Reagan would have attested to if he were still alive. It gives you the ability to take a particular question, take a particular scenario, and move it in a different direction based on the inflection of your voice, your mannerisms, facial gestures, etc. And that's what he'll basically have to do here, because he's going to be hammered from all ends. Both the right and the left are going to go after him as much as they possibly can, because especially now, this is a pretty important debate, the first one always, because the second English language leaders debate will not be as well attended or well viewed. This is the, the one moment now where all of the various leaders have a chance to shine and to sort of knock Trudeau off his pedestal pretty hard. So, yeah, it's going to be very different for him, and he better be prepared. All right, debate tonight uh, Debate tonight at 7 o'clock. I can't let you go, Michael, without asking you uh, issues over uh, education in the province of Ontario. We've seen sure. Justin Trudeau campaign here and very much mentioned Doug Ford in a negative light. QP uh, support staff, custodial staff, whatever, uh, resolve their issues. Yep. No strike for uh, the kids in southern Ontario today nope. as a result of all of this. How does this change position... Uh, the way the federal politics, the federal campaign has jumped into uh, the provincial realm. Does this change the discussion in any way, or uh, how does it add or, or take from it? Oh, it definitely does change, as I alluded to someone else before I spoke with you. It's going to be very hard now for Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to go after Ontario Premier Doug Ford tonight. It's going to be very difficult. Yeah, yeah. Because this strike has been avoided or averted, if you'd like, whichever, it doesn't matter. It, it's now no longer part of the discussion, so to speak. And, and it looks like the teachers' negotiations will be on post-elections. Yep. Or it won't come to a head till after the election, so that doesn't look like it's going to be a factor at this point, does it? No, it's, no, it's not going to be a factor. And really, quite frankly, they wouldn't dare bring it up now, especially after everything was resolved with the education workers, support staff, custodians, etc., with that in mind, it's best for them to start tackling this after the case because now Ontario parents are not simmering or terribly mad at the, at the Doug Ford government. They may be for other reasons, but not specifically about this. So this is actually, it was a big win for Education Minister Stephen Lecce, for sure. It was a big win for the Ontario government and Ontario families in general. But it was also a big win for, for Tories, including the federal Tories. Yes, this matter has not necessarily directly involved them. Remember, education is, a provincial, is part of the provincial jurisdiction. 
It has nothing to do with Andrew Scheer, who didn't even spend one nanosecond on the strike because it doesn't involve him. But because of the association that Justin Trudeau, as you alluded to, has tried to make with Doug Ford, through a good chunk of this campaign, it would have been tied to him if the thing had not been resolved last night. Because the strike was resolved last night, Trudeau has to handle this very differently. So if he brings up Doug Ford, and he basically has Doug Ford on the brain, so we assume he's going to bring him up again, it will have to be in a very different context, because if he goes too negative on Ford, especially after the strike was stopped or prevented yesterday, it's going to look really, really bad on him. He can maybe allude to him. He can sort of bring him up as sort of like a little dangling carrot in the sky. But to directly go after the premier, no, it won't make any sense. If anything, Justin Trudeau now has to sort of change tactics, change his strategy, and maybe go after particularly Andrew Scheer, who ironically, even with all the issues that he's faced, including last week, he still hasn't gone after as much as compared to Doug Ford or even Stephen Harper, Mm. for that matter. So I think that's going to change things a lot. And look, the other opposition leaders, including those on the left and right, realize it's going to be different, realize Trudeau and the Liberals are going to have to change their strategies. So that may also give them a Mm. bit of an entree to fix things up and gain some more votes and possibly some more seats for themselves. So no, the whole dynamic has completely shifted. And let's put it this way, if Justin Trudeau brings up the name of Doug Ford too many times, it's going to heavily work against them. Michael Tobe has been with us, Troy Media Syndicated columnist and contributor to the Washington Times. Michael, as always, thank you so much. Much appreciated. Be interesting I, watching tonight. You bet I will. My pleasure. Have a good day. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Debate night tonight, 7 o'clock, everywhere. I guess it's going to be hard to ignore it in that respect. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if uh, more people are watching this debate as compared to other years, simply because of all the shenanigans that have been going on uh, up until this point. And it's virtually been a dead heat since this whole campaign started. On that note, uh, to talk about polls, let's bring in Sean Simpson of Ipsos. He is with us now. Sean, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Do we have Sean? Sean, are you there? I am here. Sean, so uh, in the last uh, few days, weeks, uh, um, you know, I guess post-blackface issue blackface issue for uh, the Prime Minister, things have kind of flatlined in the polls. Do you expect that the debate will add much to this? Oh, yeah. I think we're, we're looking for a pulse here. Uh, the, the campaign started as a tie. Yeah. Uh, we had blackface. The liberals went down a bit. Now they're back up. And, you know, we're essentially at a tie again. And uh, I think Canadians are looking for something to, uh, to break the logjam. And I can't think of uh, anything better than the good old-fashioned debate. What do neck-and-neck uh, neck races, how, 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 what, if we look back at past polls, past issues, past elections, uh, when we've seen parties neck-and-neck neck the way we have uh, for this race, what, how does that usually work out? Does it usually, go, does it usually favor the incumbent? Well, I'm not sure it necessarily favors the incumbent so much as it just uh, sparks interest. Uh, you know, people are more interested in campaigns where they feel that their vote will actually count for something, 
Well, when you've got a race that's this, that is this close, literally every vote counts. And so I think they may be tuning in a little bit more. Um, you know, it, the, the pressure is on Trudeau because he's the prime minister. He's, he's got the most to lose. But I think a lot of people will also be looking at Andrew Scheer because you know, the, the Quebec media was not so hot on his performance uh, last week in the French language uh, debate. Uh, and so this is really his one shot of making an appeal uh, to, to English Canada and uh, and English-speaking Quebecers uh, and uh, try to, I think, gain some momentum that seems to have been lost. Uh, six candidates up there as well as, as quite a few moderators. So uh, are you worried that things are going to get lost in the sauce here? Yeah, yeah, I think it's going to be a, a rumble in the Bronx uh, because we've got, uh, I think, five issues they're trying to tackle, multiple moderators, six leaders, which means that at best everybody has 20 minutes to speak. Uh, and that's not a lot of time to um, you know, get their talking points out. So I suspect there's going to be a lot of people shouting over each other, um, you know, looking for the opportunity to get their you know, rehearsed zingers in uh, and and try to land a knockout punch. But when everybody's shouting at each other, it's likely not to happen. Uh, you talked about the issues. How are the issues that will be talked about tonight compared to what you have found are the important issues, day-to-day issues for Canadians? Yeah, well, there, there's some alignment and then there's some that uh, I sort of, I, I shake my question a little bit. Um, you know, for example, uh, it looks like we'll be talking about issues relating to uh, to healthcare and the economy and affordability and yeah, taxation. And that absolutely, uh, uh, you know, is aligned with what we've been seeing in our polling for Global News. Um, and then as the, the debate progresses i think the final issue is something related to you know uh, social cohesion slash immigration slash you know divisiveness or something like that and that's not you know one of the issues that we've been seeing is top of mind for canadians and i think it's going to take a little while for people to even figure out what it means because it's almost a catch-all category and every leader will probably be talking about something different within that category so I, I, i'm a little bit you know, worried about how that's going to go. Maybe that's just one of those floater issues that you can use, sort of take in and use to your own advantage by spending on any sort of issue you want to spend extra time on. Yeah, I, I think uh, you're probably right there because it's so broad. Uh, you know, Bermier is going to be talking about uh, immigration and, and uh, Blanchette's going to be talking about, you know, Quebec values and Trudeau's going to be, you know, the big red tent and, and everybody's welcome. And, you know, it's, I think it's going to be sort of weird. So we'll see what happens. So will you be surprised, Sean, if this time next week when your numbers come out that we're at the same place that we are now? Well, I hope not. You know, I'm looking for uh, for something to break the tie, maybe a little a little bit of intrigue here um, mm. in the campaign. Uh, but I, I think something's going to happen, um, and the reason I say that is because something happened uh, in in Quebec uh, last week in the French uh, language debate. Uh, we're starting to see some movement. We've got uh, new polling results coming out, um, you know, in a matter of minutes with 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 Global News. So I don't want to spoil them, but you know, things are changing in Quebec, uh, and so I think that uh, we'll start to see some some shift in momentum in English Canada following tonight. Uh, do you, and again, I know you can't predict these because it's obviously 20 minutes since the numbers are out, but uh, hmm. will this be more to the disadvantage or advantage of the prime minister than it will affect the other candidates considering that's his home province? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that uh, what's going to happen at least tonight is um, uh, everybody's going to be 
against Andrew Shear. And the reason I say that is because uh, the block uh, is is poised to pick up seats in rural uh, Quebec that the NDP is losing. And the primary um, adversary in many of those ridings is the Conservative Party, not the Liberal Party. Uh, and so the Prime Minister will be attacking Shear, the Bloc Québécois will be attacking Shear, everybody on the, the, the left is, you know, probably attacking Shear and Trudeau. But, um, it, it's really, I think, Shear's moment to try to convince people that he can be the Prime Minister. Uh, will a lot of that attack be on climate change since the the rest seem to be a bit more cohesive on where they stand on climate change, whereas Shear isn't? Well, I, see, climate change is interesting because it actually motivates both bases. It motivates the progressive parties, um, but it motivates the conservatives as well because they see climate change as, a, as yet another tax, another attack on affordability, and that is a rallying cry for, for conservative voters. And so I think Scheer is happy to be talking about climate change so long as he can do it on his own terms, which is uh, a, 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 the economy and affordability. So because this is a closer race or a close race, does this mean a larger voter turnout or people turned off cynical going to stay at home? I mean, will more watch debate because it is so close? Yeah, I mean, that is a great question. I think a close race uh, portends higher turnout, but some apathy or uh, a lack of inspiration that Canadians have for many of our political leaders is, uh, you know, an aggravating factor. So on one hand, a close race means higher turnout, uh, apathy, you know, and and um, maybe disenfranchisement or whatever that feeling is, uh, means lower turnout. And I haven't quite reconciled those in my mind just yet. I think it's going to be lower than last time, though, because I don't see millennials being as jazzed to support Justin Trudeau as they were last time. Uh, what about the fringe players in this debate tonight, the People's Party of Canada, even the Bloc? How much of a factor are they going to play, do you think? Yeah, well, I think uh, the People's Party, um, I, I think that while many people may agree with some of the policies they espouse, um, it still doesn't mean they're going to get votes. But I think what it does is is make people maybe look a little bit more towards the conservatives as that, that mid-road. You know, yeah, I agree with some things that they're saying, but not all of them. So maybe the conservative party is, is the best uh, bet for me. I, I think, you know, Elizabeth May and the Green Party is a bit of a wild card as well, because if she does well tonight and, and her, her vote starts to increase in the last two weeks, then it siphons support away from the liberals. Um, and so it brings into question whether people need to vote strategically then to stop the conservatives, even if they don't like the liberals. So I think the fringe players do actually have a role to play, even though largely this is a two-horse race. Uh, many have said that uh, because of the contingent on the left, that that could split the vote. And then then Maxime Bernier's party gained prominence and into the debates. Uh, is it more likely, more likely for the left debate to split than the right? Is it likely more likely that the right may unite? Well, I don't see Bernier's party as gaining 
a whole lot of traction. So on the right, let's say you've got the Conservatives and the People's Party, but the People's Party is only getting 2 or 3% of the vote. Um, on the left, you've got the Liberals, the NDP, and uh, and the Green Party. And the Green Party at 7% at the moment is, is not a huge factor, although it, it does split some vote. But if they gain momentum and go up to 10, 11, 12%, then I can easily see a situation where it takes enough votes away from the Liberals for the Conservative to to, to you know, squeak in with a with a, a plurality of the votes in a particular riding. So um, I think the fringe players uh, are in at play here, but vote splitting is a bigger factor on the left than it is on the right. Sean Simpson has been with us from Ipsos, of course, carefully watching all of this pre and post debate. Sean, thanks so much. We'll be watching. Should be fascinating. We'll talk later <laughs> in the week. My pleasure. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Debate tonight, 7 o'clock. Hope you're all going to watch. Six candidates on stage. Uh, plus uh, a swack of moderators. It's going to be hard to weigh through it all. To talk more about all of this, Daniel Ballant is with us, uh, Professor, Director of the McGill Institute for the Study of Canada, and he is with us now. Daniel, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, Stage full tonight, six candidates, uh, a lot of moderators as well. Are you sure we're going to be able to uh, weed through all of this? Are you concerned we may get lost in the sauce? Yeah, I'm a bit concerned about that, uh, having six candidates and so many moderators. The the TVA debate uh, last week was interesting because you had only four candidates and one moderator, and it went, I think, really well overall. The danger with so many people on stage is cacophony, is uh, just the confusion. And if they all start to speak at the same time, well, instead of having four people, you have six people who will speak <laughs> on the top of uh, each other. And, and so... I'm a bit afraid that that could uh, that could turn into a mess. I hope that the moderation will be effective, but having more moderators doesn't mean it will be more effective than only with one moderator. But that's certainly a concern uh, for this evening. As we digest the first French language debate, what was your thought? What's your takeaway? Winners, losers. Well, I think it's quite clear now, and even uh, in Quebec, the polling data is is. Um, really points in that direction that Andrew Scheer didn't do well at the the French the first French debate. Uh, I think Justin Trudeau did quite well. Um, uh, he was actually, you know, facing attacks, but not as many attacks as uh, I had expected. Andrew Scheer faced at least as many attacks as Justin Trudeau, and it's not really normal when you have a, a debate with the 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 income, you know, the prime minister there, and normally the prime minister will be under attack more than the other uh, party leaders. Uh, I think also that Mr. Blanchet from the Bloc did well, but again, like Justin Trudeau, um, he had the advantage of just mastering the French language better than the two other candidates. As for Jack Mitzing, I think he did reasonably well, but uh, you know, it's a long shot for the NDP in Quebec to just keep uh, a significant number of their 14 seats. So uh, I think it was probably not enough to turn things around for the NDP in Quebec. What are you expecting tonight with the additional candidates on stage? Well, uh, the fact that Elizabeth May will be there is probably bad news for Justin Trudeau on the environment file, because I'm sure she will go on the attack and attack uh, the decision of the Trudeau government to buy the Trans Mountain Pipeline. Uh, I think that um, the the fact that uh, uh, Mr. Bernier will be there is bad news for Andrew Scheer, because, of course, 
um, the People's Party, they are really targeting potential conservative voters. And Maxime Bernier is a former conservative cabinet minister, so I think he will go after Andrew Scheer. Um, but overall, I think that um, they they will all have to go on, on the offense mode uh, because there are so many people on stage. They will need to just <laughs> be able to capture our attention and and uh, I don't and 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 really go not just be on the defensive, especially for the the prime minister. I think on the the French debate last week, he was he was quite forceful, and he needs to stay on the attack mode um, because if you're too passive, then uh, it might not look good. Um, so I expect a very lively debate, perhaps too lively. Hmm. Uh, surprised that Elizabeth, Elizabeth May was not at the French debate, considering uh, climate change is, is, is a pillar of the Liberal platform. And it's such an important issue for Quebecers, and she's pretty much his, uh, his toe-to-toe um, uh, 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 person who he's, he's battling on this issue with. Um, do you think this time out she will go after him because of that? Did he get a free ride at the French debate on climate issues because she wasn't there? Well, he didn't. I, I don't think Justin Trudeau got a free ride because uh, actually uh, uh, Mr. Blanchet from the Bloc and also Jack Mead Singh went really after after him on the environment. But now he will have, he will have another player, Elizabeth May, uh, and it's the Green Party. So obviously that will complicate things for Justin Trudeau. And there is one part of the debate that will be on the environment. So that should be a, a significant uh, issue, and we'll watch how Justin Trudeau can manage being attacked by, by three other leaders on, on, uh, um, on the environment, and especially pipeline building. How much of a factor, you mentioned the bloc, will the bloc be in this debate, considering where they've come from, and when this campaign started, uh, not many were speaking of them. How, how is this an option, an opportunity for them? Yeah, the bloc, has, uh, of course, was a, is the official opposition and, uh, starting in 1993, and they were uh, quite, uh, quite popular in Quebec under Gilles Duceppe for a while. But then, of course, they, had, uh, they lost uh, the vast majority of their seats in 2011, regained some in 2015, 10 seats last time, only four in 2011. So many people thought the bloc was really facing a... Uh, a gradual decline, and um, and and now what we have is the possibility that they could win more than 20 seats in Quebec. Uh, I think that Mr. Blanchet was quite effective in the the French, the first French debate, and uh, tonight I don't think it's that important for him. He's out of the the six candidates on stage. Is the one that has the least to lose uh, tonight because most Quebecers, the the majority of you know francophones in Quebec, are unlikely to watch or at least not as carefully as they will watch the next. French debate on Thursday, so I think he, uh, he he just the only thing he needs to do is avoid making big mistakes. Who has the most to gain this debate? Well, I who has the most to gain? I think Jack Mitzing uh, and and Elizabeth May have quite a bit uh, to to gain uh, in terms of uh, um, you know where their parties are standing. They. Uh, uh, the NDP is doing a bit better in the polls now, but uh, I think that's an opportunity for Jack Singh to to uh, keep improving uh, um, the party's numbers. For Elizabeth May, 
as you said, she was not uh, part of the French debate last week, so she needs to catch up, and it's the only English debate. So they all have something to win, but I think, of course, uh, Andrew Scheer is the one who perhaps has the most to lose here with the Prime Minister, because it's a you know, neck-and-neck race, and the Liberals are, did quite well last week. It was not a good week for Andrew Scheer, not just because of his performance at the TVA debate, but also the dual citizenship issue and other issues. So I think that um, it's very important for Andrew Scheer to have a solid performance tonight, and it's important for the Prime Minister as well, because the race is so tight for the... Uh, you know, for, among the the two leading uh, the two top parties, that you know, a lot is at stake for for both of them. Danielle Balan has been with us, professor, director of the McGill Institute for the Study of Canada. Daniel, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Thanks for the invitation. Have a nice afternoon. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. This is, uh, you know, I always sort of thought that scotch was kind of like a sipping drink, you know, one that's uh, to be savored and swooshed around, like wine, I guess. Uh, not necessarily popped in like a uh, Tide Pod or, uh, or a shooter, per se, a jello shooter. Why don't we have a scotch jello shooter? Do we hear that? Uh, this is interesting. Uh, no ice, no stir, no glass. That is the pitch. Scottish uh, distillery Glenlivet is making to whiskey drinkers with its new capsule collection cocktails. Yeah, glassless cocktails. Is this like the bunless burger? Uh, our three edible beverages, Glenlivet claims, will redefine the way whiskey is traditionally enjoyed. Well, I think that's pretty safe to say, isn't it? Uh, the collection of limited edition cocktails are served in a, quote, super sustainable seaweed extract casing. So it's not like you're, you know, inhaling some sort of plastic or, or toxic substance that was created to hold your scotch. It's all natural. Uh, the company says is one of nature's most renewable resources. So it's not like they're worried this is going to be like a water bottle issue. All these casings are everywhere. Uh, a first of its kind for a spirit brand, the Edible Capsules, 23 milliliters. Is that a full ounce? No, it would be less than an ounce. Uh, 23 milliliters in size, fully biodegradable, and provide the perfect flavor explosion experience, says the advertising. Uh, enjoy them by simply popping them into your mouth for an instant burst of flavor. Except it's scotch. It's like that gum you used to get when you were a kid and you chew into it and there was like some sort of syrup inside. Squirt. Squirt gum. Is that what it was called? Do you remember that? Uh, However, the capsule collection has received mixed reaction online with many saying that's not how whiskey is intended to be enjoyed. The whiskey scotch police are out. Whoop, 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 whoop. That's not how we do it. Um, whiskey cocktails are for sipping and savoring, not exploding in your mouth all in one go, says one Twitter. Uh, are people having trouble pouring it into a glass, says another. We love to talk to the team behind the concept because just why? Uh, some, however, are intrigued by the unique marketing. Hi, hello, I'm a professional whiskey enthusiast here. You have my attention. I will happily test these for science. Others liken the capsules designed to the Tide Pod thing. All I can think of is Tide Pods. 
Should I use these on a permanent press or gentle cycle? Was one tweet. Some said the design reminded them more of uh, Fruit Gushers candy. Sort of a Scotch gusher. Gusher. Are you telling me they're making alcoholic gushers? Guess we can stop advancing now. Humanity is about to peak. Uh, Glenn Libet partnered with uh, the Glenn Libet partnered with an English bar, Taylor and Alex Cretina, to develop the drinks to roll out during London's Cocktail Week. I didn't even know they had that. Is it like Oktoberfest? Uh, London's Cocktail Week, a seven-day festival that takes place every October. All right, what do you think these are going to catch? Maybe just at Christmas, like those little liqueurs and the chocolate. You know, maybe you're at uh, a boring movie or uh, your in-laws for dinner and you're thinking, I need something here. <laughs> uh, let's bring in David Dixon, head distiller at the Teaching Distillery in Niagara College and is with us now. David, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me, Scott. First, talk about Niagara's distillery program. How long has this been around? It's relatively new, is it not? Yeah, absolutely. We've uh, we've just kicked off our second year. Uh, we're having fun. It's it's exciting. I'm uh, I've got a class right after this, uh, so I'm looking forward to actually bringing this up in class and, and getting my my class's uh, opinion on on this this new uh, this new piece of uh, of uh, technology. That we're yeah. <laughs> technology. What do you think? Yeah, what do you think they're gonna say? What do you think they're gonna say? Uh, I, I I know right now that there's there's going to be a couple people that are going to uh, kind of jump on the bandwagon of the, some of the tweets that we've seen so far about Tide Pods and and that's not how whiskey should be. But uh, you know, in, innovation in Scotch is 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 not necessarily a, a bad thing, right? If if you've got one of the most storied spirits, then branching out and trying to do something interesting, it either means that they're trying to innovate or. Uh, um, they're just trying to do something something different and exciting and kind of shake people up a bit. Is there too much snobbery associated with scotch that this just doesn't fly? You want to put a vodka thing in here or something else, that's different. But scotch, no, it's meant for sipping. I mean, what about the purists and all of this? Yeah, I, I, th- I think there there's a certain uh, there's a certain group of people that, that enjoy scotch and, and, and enjoy... Uh, you know, there, there there is a certain merit to that. Scotch is Scotch, and and it means something specific. And and then that they know what they're getting. So so as far as consumer protection, this this can be you know a dangerous trend. If if suddenly they change the rules of Scotch, they're not going to as a result of this. But if they suddenly change the rules of Scotch, maybe you're not getting what you used to be getting ten years ago. So I can, I can certainly see that. Uh, but there is there's something fun and special about the tradition of of cocktails and some of these spirits um, that don't need to be threatened, but uh, feel threatened when something like this happens. Does this discredit scotch? Um, because it I is sort of a, you know, a, a more of a tasting kind of thing. Yeah, so so w- one thing that I noticed is, is they're, they're scotch cocktails. They're, it's not a single malt scotch. Um, I don't think this is going to threaten the major Scotch producers of the world in any way, shape, or form. It's a nice, it's it's very nice for for publicity, but um, it's it's a cocktail. So each one of those actually has something else blended in. Yeah, that they're not. Um, and what do you know about the actual product? Explain that a bit more, or, if you can. <laughs> about the same as everyone else. I'm, yeah. I'm kind of. Uh, caught off guard by by this announcement but it's not a pure scot it's not like a pure scotch per se just in a you know in a pod well it has something else 
other than scotch in there, so then yeah. it no longer becomes scotch. So w- whether yeah. or not they're calling it a scotch cocktail or uh, it, it's not quite scotch anymore, if that makes sense. Um, it, it needs to follow very specific rules in order to be called scotch. Right. So it, 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 having added something, it no longer fits that uh, that criteria. Would this work to attract new customers who maybe haven't found the taste? Well, like you, I, I'm a I'm a willing uh, I'd be willing to participate <laughs> Bring in, them in out. some kind of study <laughs> if yeah. we have them available. And I'm sure uh, your class and I'm sure your class would too. Yeah, and I I'm not sure because of the the regulations we have in Ontario. I don't know if this is something that's ever actually going to hit our markets or not. Yeah. Uh, one of the interesting things is they uh, rather recently they changed what a ready to drink is, and there's always, uh, especially with with distilled spirits, there there's a very uh, conscious effort by by everyone, uh, both on the government side and the industry side, not to have overconsumption. Um, so th- this is a way of of controlling the volume at which somebody would be consuming something. So uh, it's kind of one of that single serving uh, s- single serving type of uh, uh, of marketing that they're they're trying to hit. So would that that would it would be illegal? There'd have to be new laws passed for something like this. Now I think this is done promotionally, more for a promotional thing during uh, yeah, during I, their cocktail week. But it, the laws would probably have to change to allow for this, would they not? Yeah. So spirits themselves have to be in resealable containers or or fit certain certain set of rules set down by the LCBO in, in the province of Ontario. So. Uh, obviously, if you're putting it in your mouth, crunching down on it, then uh, it's not a resealable container. Hmm. Uh, but it is single serving, so um, it, it may it may work out really nicely. I, uh, I, my my first thought was airplanes, and and you know how if you've got turbulence or something, uh, all food and drinks sort of stops. But, uh, we can they, still administer the pod. The, <laughs> yeah, would they would they change would they uh, survive the change in pressure on an airplane? I don't know, but that's that was that was kind of my first thought. <laughs> I don't know why. You know, but you bring up a valid point. Where's the customer? Who uses these? Who now? Again, if you're exactly. if you're doing a promotional thing at at a, at a cocktail week, that's different. Um, you can see how they would fit in and be funny. Um, right. But where do they fit? Would they fit into part of a consumer base in some way? I mean, where would you? You know, we, we were joking yeah. around. You're sitting at a cold football game. Hey, pop one of these. Woo! Instant warm up. I mean, where yeah. would, where who would buy these? Yeah, I'm, I'm not 100% sure. I mean, I mean that that highlights two sides of it, right? The the dangers of people trying to sneak those into. Uh, they're obviously yep. small enough that that they get past all the sen- uh, sensor detection systems and everything. Uh, but are, are people then going to try and try and bring them into sporting events when they they shouldn't be? And uh, on the other side of things, I could see a, a really cool high end kind of restaurant with kind of the experimental cuisine, having that on. Bring that out as your as your drink, right? That, right. Uh, <laughs> Part of a dessert tray. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like here's here's cocktail hour, and they just bring out a tray with all these little uh, <laughs> capsules on it. I think yeah. it's very fascinating. To yeah. See that. Do we drink these or do we put them in our bathtub? What do you what do you do with these things? <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, it, you, if you you know maybe to each his own. So, do you think that this is just a promotional tool, or do you think this is a segment of the, of the industry here? You know, it's it's uh, it's so new that time will tell. I, I think is this like the you is said this earlier, is this like cannabis? But you know, the cannabis you can smoke it, or you got ed- edibles. This is the same thing with the alcohol industry. We got edibles now. 
Right. We have we have the compartmentalization of yeah. of, uh, of things. So I, I could see it. I could see it having been influenced by the the cannabis sector and the edibles. Um, and uh, yeah, but also for the other side of things, I could see this as being maybe more viable for um, some of the other spirits, uh, the gin cocktail. The that was my next question. Cocktail. I mean, exactly you, what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, to me, it seems more suited for others than this. But I guess yeah. if you're going to do this, why not go with scotch? Yeah, go for broke, right? And 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 if you'd done it the other way around, then then people it would discredit it. Yeah, more dis- dismissive. But because yeah. you start with scotch, maybe maybe it's a, a, a tact that that has some purpose behind it. So, do you think this will be marketed, or do you think this is just a promotional tool moving forward? Uh, I I think based it, it often the spirits industry responds to publicity, right? So if if every everybody's talking about it, uh, as it as it seems like it's it's kind of everywhere right now. If everybody's talking about it and and they see a market for it and they can figure out a legal way of of uh, of getting it done in in various different uh, under various different legislation, then then I could see it happening. I'm not sure we'll see it on the LCBO shelves, but um, maybe in some other places we will. What about something that you not necessarily would pop into your mouth? But like a portable shot, you could put into a glass, it dissolves, and then you mix something into it. Right. Um, but then I, I mean, guess they have that. It's, possible, right? it's called a bottle. You can uncork it and whatever. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. It, it because the the ease of use of this seems to be its its most attractive feature right now. Um, I I could see that type of thing um, where I was formerly at Dylan's. There was kind of a pre-bottled cocktail where you just added ice. And then it melted the ice down to the point where it was was uh, that's what we be the perfect cocktail. We've got a, a um, listener that said just that. Could you not use this and then add an ice cube and there you go? It's like uh, instant coffee. Right. Exactly. So so I, I think I think the niche part of this is is the ability for it to either be broken down or I'm not exactly sure what happens when you put it in your mouth whether you're just popping it and chewing it or whether or not it's it's actually breaking down, but. Um, the, the, as we get better with materials, this, this becomes more and more possible, but, um, you know, you wouldn't want it to be treated to the wrong kind of conditions. And yeah. I've had, I've had, uh, the, the Tide Pod kind of things melt in my, uh, melt in the case because they got wet. You, yeah. you want to make sure that something like that doesn't happen. So the kind of the dissolving container doesn't always <laughs> make for the best, uh, <laughs> transport vessel. Perhaps some of the promotional campaign could be uh, a shot of people uh, five seconds after they put one of these things in their mouth. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Is it, whoa. Watch, they have a little promotion material, which I encourage people to watch. Even the people in the, the promotional material don't know what the heck is going on at some point. They're going, what the heck is this? So uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see what the actual perception of people is once the, these actually are out there in the real world. You know, as you mentioned, these are more than just scotch. There's something added to them to flavor them. Do you think this would right. work if it was just uh, It'd be interesting to know what the alcohol content is, is if it's like just having a straight shot or if it's watered down at all. Yeah, I, I I couldn't seem to come across that. Um, I couldn't either. I assume that it is watered down based on the based on the volume, but maybe that uh, makes it more palatable than if you actually got a blast of scotch, of real you know, full scotch in your mouth. Right, like we might be looking at something that's not dissimilar from a wine percent percentage in your mouth, and um, something yeah. that would be a, a, a larger mouthful would not be as. Uh, 
the the scientific term I think is Bernie. Yeah. Uh, in your mouth. <laughs> Um, what about like you know the little chocolates you see at Christmas with the with the booze in them with the liqueurs in them? I mean, is that is that any different? Um, yeah, they tend to be more sugar than they are alcohol, but they are very small quantities of of alcohol, and you yeah. need a whole separate set of licensing and everything for that. So that didn't. Uh, I'm probably many years ago that seemed like a crazy foreign concept, and now it's just kind of a normal part of uh, the holidays. But um, We'll see if this if this has the same kind of impact. Uh, I'm not sure that it will, but uh, I'm interested to find out. From a marketing standpoint, what does this do for uh, the cocktail, the liquor industry? And we many times when we're we're talking to expert about experts about cannabis on the show, uh, many times I've drawn up a comparison of the alcohol industry and, and thinking, you know, whether it's taxation, this or the other. At what point does the alcohol industry go? You know what? They seem to be having a better leg up than we do here. Uh, is this their kind of marketing to match that? I mean, it, does, does the cocktail distillery industry need something because it's so long in the tooth and traditional? Yeah, it, it's entirely possible. And I mean, we are seeing this innovation in in the scotch industry, which um, by all accounts is doing quite well. But, um, you know, you, you are seeing a, a shift towards more craft spirits, uh, bourbon is kind of having a nice day in the sun. Canadian whiskey is having a nice day in the sun right now. So is gin. Uh, so Gin's like made a huge comeback. Gin's on fire. It's it's the fastest growing category in the LCBO right now. And I remember that, that in the 70s, like, you know, my parents having gin and tonics and whatever, but it seemed to die and now it's coming back. Is the magic of mixing a cocktail coming back? The the Yeah, absolutely. So it, it there's a lot of people out there trying to make their own own recipes from from things they're finding online and and uh there's kind of this portal to the cocktail culture of many years ago that's kind of opened up so we we end up with a uh, a book that's that's got cocktails in it and and a third of the cocktails are all gin cocktails it's it's uh it what it, it works very well in a mix and and it it works uh has a nice balance to it it has some interesting flavors Every gin is very unique and distinct. Um, so you end up having uh, twofold. One is people are experimenting with cocktails, and the other part is that um, the distilling industry, the, the gin category, uh, is one of the fastest changing categories mm. um, that exists. Uh, if you're looking at scotch, scotch has been made more or less the same way for um, a couple hundred years, whereas gin, where people are developing new techniques, new botanical recipes, you can have a vast amount of change on on that particular spirit so uh, it's getting people excited and uh, it's exciting to be in this industry at this point in time david dixon has been with his head distiller at the teaching distillery niagara college glenn livid over the weekend went viral with their uh whiskey packs how do you describe these like a todd a tide pod a tie pod with with whiskey based drink in it of some sort that's about the only good way it seems to, to describe it david thanks so much for the time have a have a great class this afternoon tell him i said hi Okay, thanks a lot, Scott. Thank you. David uh, David Dixon is the head distiller at uh, Niagara's uh, Teaching Distillery. Fascinating. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.